Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and listen to their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm joined by the wonderful Duro Oye. Welcome, Duro. Thank you very much for having me, Craig. Great to be here. Uh, it's such a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this chat. Duro is a social entrepreneur and filmmaker. CEO of 2020 Change. It's a youth empowerment organization focused on social mobility uh, for young people from lower socioeconomic communities. And it helps people uh, fulfill their potential through headline programs like I Am Change. Uh, 840 students or alumni to date. Uh, so getting about to punch through that thousand person barrier, that's a lot of lives affected. And uh, prior to that, actually, and and part of the uh, the story behind 2020 Change was a movie, a film that Duro made called 247365 Change. That was in 2013, and it really was the catalyst that uh, triggered all of this. Uh, today, um, Duro also keeps himself busy with, with the BBC and other public service broadcasters helping them with uh, production needs. Uh, and uh, a wonderful quote that I read on, on your website, if a young person does not have a plan, the community will create, create one for them. I think that's a wonderful uh, phrase and it sort of uh, personifies in a way the, uh, the mission that you're on. But let's start by rolling the clock back, Duro. Uh, tell me um, a little bit about your background and how you came to the UK. Sure. Once again, thanks again, Craig, for having me on here. Um, yeah, let's circle back. Coming to the UK, I came here when I was about seven. <clears throat> so my parents sent me over um, with the hope of a better life. Well, I mean, I felt like we had a comfortable life in Nigeria. You know, we had a, a big house. Um, we had people living with us. We had people helping out. It was, it was great. Um, but obviously my parents had foresight and they, and they knew the direction in which the country was going. Um, and they felt it was better for me to move over to the UK and, um, live with my sister. But what they didn't know is that my sister lived in a council estate in probably what I would class as the worst part of London at the time. So I landed in Broadwater Farm estate in Tottenham, North London. Um, and yeah, it, was, it wasn't pretty, it was very grim. Um, I'd look out my window and I wouldn't be inspired by what I saw outside. I'd look inside the flat and I wouldn't be inspired by what I saw inside. Um, so I think that kind of helped my imagination kind of grow and blossom and my creativity. So I, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, on my own. She had kids who were my niece and nephew, so I had uh, a, a younger niece who were only four years younger than me. And then um, she had a newborn as well. So very, very quickly, I went from being the last born in Nigeria to being the first born here in London. So responsibility fell on my shoulders quite quite heavily. Um, and yeah, I was, I was thrown into it, pretty much thrown in at the deep end. You know, I, I joke around with my wife now and say that I never really had a childhood you know, like like normal kids. I don't feel like I, I grew up like normal kids. I feel like that was taken away from me just because of the amount of responsibility that was placed on me um, at such such an early age. Um, but I mean, I took it I took it in my stride, and I feel like I'm grateful for it now because it's helped me. It's helped mold me into the person that I am now. 
but at the same time, it kind of pushed me to become something that I don't know if I was prepared for. So because of the way that we were living and, and, and things that I was surrounded by, I became quite ambitious and my ambition was was channeled into a lot of the wrong things. So there was a lot of negativity that I, I got caught up in quite early on. Um, but once again, I'm grateful that I was able to get into that early on because I learned very quickly that it wasn't the path that I wanted to follow. Um, so I was able to just basically spin everything around um, between the ages of, I'd say, 12 to 21 I was involved in a lot of negative things. We just leave it at that. I like to call it um, street enterprise is, is, is the term that I coined. Um, but during that, that, that phase of my life, I recognized that I had skills. I recognized that I had potential to do other things. But because of who I was surrounded by, that that, that potential didn't really materialize into anything concrete. And I was that young person in school that the teachers would always say, oh my gosh, sure, you've got so much potential, you're wasting your potential, what are you going to do with your life and all of that? And I'm just thinking to myself, what, what does that even mean? Like, what, what can you do with potential? My whole life I've been hearing that I've got potential, but nobody's actually ever shown me practically how I can turn this potential into something tangible. Um, so that's where that phrase, if the if a young person doesn't have a plan, the community will create one for them. So it's kind of got a two, a double barrel meaning in the sense that depending on the kind of environment that you grow up in and depending on the kind of community that you have around you will determine the kind of plan that you have, whether it be a positive one or a negative one. So I went from a negative community and having a negative outlook on life and a negative plan for my life and moving into a positive one. And everything changed. Same skill set, same mindset, but now challenge or, or pushing or channeling that into something positive, something constructive. And now I'm, you know, achieving amazing results in my life and also being able to help people at the same time as well. So all I needed to do was change the people I was around. And here we are. I, I mean, it's the story of so many, isn't it? <laughs> and if you've not grown up in, in that environment, it's very difficult uh, to understand. Can you talk more about some of the negative influences that drag many youth into what you call street enterprise and in mm -hmm. a, a more negative path? Why is that? Why, did that why, why is that the path that sort of draws them first and foremost? I think, you know, that there's different ways that we can look at this. And I, I like to pride myself on someone that's very open and honest about some of the realities that a lot of these young people face. So a lot of them will say that, you know, it's hardship, it's, it's growing up in a particular environment, um, them not having access to certain things. And that's why they get caught up in that, because they see maybe drug dealers and fraudsters and so on and so forth. And, and they're inspired by them. And they feel like they want to live that lifestyle so that they can help out at home and support their family. But having worked with these kind of young people for several years, you start to see that they're not really doing it for that. And if you're really thinking about it, it's a lot of greed. It's a lot of <clears throat> their eyes being bigger than their heads and them wanting things for themselves. Because when you see them, and they're living this life and maybe making money from this from from this world they're not necessarily helping their family members it's more so about them and their image and how they look so they get caught up in it and 
they go into it, some of them go into it with good intentions and like they want to get in, make a bit of money and come out. But once you get caught up in that lifestyle, you're stuck and it's a spiral. And it's very, very difficult for you to break out of it if you don't have the right people around you. And the deeper you go into it, the less positive role models, less positive figures that you have around you. So it's very, very difficult to be able to help a young person break away from that. And that's why I like to get them to work on the inside first, make that change on the inside first, and then it's reflected outwardly. So as a young person, you have to want to break out of that mold. You have to have what it takes. And certain people come to that level in their life at different stages. Some might be maybe they lost a close friend, they lost a family member, um, or maybe they're having a child, or maybe they're just at a stage in their life where they're now thinking about the future and thinking that I can't continue on this path forever. Um, It's at that stage where we feel like we can then work with this young person. We can help guide this young person. This young person's already thinking in this way. We can help them elevate that level of thinking. So young people get involved in it for so many different reasons. But one of the hardest things is to, is to break them out of that mold. But once they are broken out of it, it's a beautiful sight to see. Well, this, uh, this program that you've uh, built is obviously um, hugely autobiographical in a way. It's <laughs> What was the tipping point for you? What what enabled you to pivot? Because you didn't have, you know, your older self and uh, 2020 change, did you? Yeah. No, I didn't. Um, so for me, it was, a, it was a self-realization. So like I said, I had several years involved in what I was involved in. And, and I managed to work my way to a, up to a level where at a very young age, so between 18 to 21, I pretty much had everything that I wanted, but I was living a double life, probably even more than a double life because I was a different person at home, different person on the streets, different person in school with my academics. I just had different masks. It was it, it was a lot. <clears throat> and I then started thinking about my future. How long can I continue juggling all these different lives that I have? Um, and I remember I mentioned my my nephew, so the one that was a, a newborn at the time when I first came into the UK, um, he said something one day. Um, we were walking around the area and I became became quite well known for what I was doing on the streets. You know, I walked down the street, people say, oh, hey, Drew, how you doing? You know, so he was with me and I was there feeling like the big shot. Um, you know, with my little nephew walking down the street, everyone's calling my name. He's like, oh, are you famous? That, you know, and I was like, you know, yeah, I know a few people, you know, taking it in, 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 in my stride. And he hit me with a question that stuck with me ever since then. He said, but what are you famous for? What do these people know you for? And that struck a chord with me because he's at an age now where he can start to hear things and he can start to get to know things on his own. But it's not the, the, the same me that he saw in the house and, and with the rest of the family. And my family didn't really know or they weren't pretty much aware of what, what I was involved in. So one, that, that was one thing. And I started thinking to myself, how long can I do this for before everything comes crumbling down? And I've actually built everything that I've built on sand. All it takes is, you know, one strong wave to come and it's all knocked down and it's all gone and I've got to start again. And then I think the biggest turning point for me was when I started to have internal battles with myself. So I've built everything that i built off of the knowledge that I acquired from those around me. And I felt like, yeah, 
I built this pedal stall, climbed all the way to the top. I'm the man. But then there were these internal battles that made me think, but anybody could do this. You know, you claim to have a brilliant mind. You claim to have this imagination, this creativity. But have you really channeled it into something tangible, something that can stand the test of time? So those internal battles is what really got me. And I came to the conclusion that I actually haven't tried. You know, it was in that moment I started to understand what my teachers and some of my peers and family members were talking about potential and me not really utilising or fulfilling my potential. And I just thought to myself, once I leave, what am I going to be known for? Am I just going to be known as, you know, this street kid that made a lot of money from the streets? Or am I going to be known as someone that was impactful and influential and actually helped others come up and, and help others become the best version of themselves? And I weighed the two and I said... This, this is what I want, you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and become that person. Whatever it takes to become that person, I'm going to do. So I left that negative life, dropped everything that came along with it. Um, I was at university at the time when I made this realisation, and I think that that was a huge um, point in my life because that was the first time that I was able to break away from my area, break away from my friends. I had time in isolation where I really get to, I got to know myself and rediscover myself for who I am so my years at university was literally spent looking inside at all of the things that I have on the inside of me that I haven't really used um so by the time I finished uni I told all my friends told them I was out of the game left everything um got rid of everything craziest part <laughs> um that I got from that world because I knew that I couldn't bring it into this new world and I had to start literally from zero even minus move back into my mum's house um and then the biggest turning point in my life was when I started taking my Christian faith seriously so it was it was that was my anchor and that that was my glimmer of hope so I literally buried myself in the church for about two and a half years um, and I left that world and had no communication with that world whatsoever. And I just kept working on me internally. Um, and that's where I started to meet, you know, positive role models, mentors, people that kind of took me under their wing and showed me, um, started to be more comfortable about opening up about my past. So when I came into the church, once again, completely reinvented myself. And, you know, I was this golden boy. And because my older brother at the time, he'd come um, over from Nigeria as well. He kind of took me under his wing. He was very well known in the church. And yeah, he, he, so everybody just looked at me as, oh, he's Fingy's brother. So he must be of this caliber. So I, I ran along with it. But over time, you know, people got to know about things that I was involved in. And I thought that they would just look at me and be like, oh my gosh, you know, but it was the complete opposite. And yeah, I just felt so welcome. Um, and then and they pretty much helped me. Um, they showed me how to do things in the right way. And yeah, that was that was nearly 16 years ago now. Wow. Well, <laughs> we're going to roll forward. It's an incredible metamorphosis that you've been through and such bravery and courage uh, and self-awareness to make the choices that you've made along the way. Uh, tell me about the film. Yeah, so the film um, came off of the back of what I was doing in the church. So the church had a TV station connected to it. So like I said, when I say I buried myself in the church, I buried myself in all of the church's activities. I was able to use some of my degree, um, volunteering within the church and the TV station there. Um, 
I went to film school. So I think I volunteered for about three months at a TV station. Then they employed me. And then I went to film school while I was there. Um, fell in love with everything to do with motion pictures. Um, and then I started producing a TV show for the TV <laughs> station. Um, even presenting all of these things that I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'll be able to. Because I was very like reserved, quiet, shy, in the background. Never on the forefront or anything. Um, and I just wanted to find stories of people like myself, people that had transformative um, stories and journeys and testimonials of, of, of change, because I knew that I couldn't have been the only one. Um, so I met these guys. Uh, I was introduced to them on, online, um, and we just hit it off. So we invited them onto the show. We had an interview. The interview was a huge hit, like probably had crazy hits because of the amount of things that they had done that I wasn't aware of but people online knew of um some of it was good some of it was bad and I, it was in that moment that I realized that what these guys are talking about is actually bigger than Christianity that there are a lot of young people that would benefit from what they're saying um outside of Christianity and that's where the idea for the documentary um came from um and yeah um I mean, I'm the kind of person, go big or go home. So it's like, I decided, yep, we're going to fund the documentary. We're going to make it happen. You know, I'm going to raise the money. I had a bit of money in the bank um, and I thought, yep. From film school, they just teach you the practicalities of making a film and they say, go out and do it. So I was like, yeah, cool, I'm going to go out and do it. Um, in order for me to really spend time making the documentary, I had to leave the job at the TV station. Um, so yeah, we spent 18 months making the film. Uh, shoestring budget, we ran out of money in the first three months, had to speak to friends, family to try and raise the rest of the money. Uh, we managed to raise it and yeah, we made the documentary film. Um, I used my negotiation skills, spoke to the manager at Odeon Leicester Square, gave us a huge discount on hiring out their biggest screen. And yeah, we packed it out with 850 people, um, both friends, family, the guy's friends, family. And I reached out to pretty much all of the youth organizations that I knew of at the time doing amazing work. Because <clears throat> my aim was to just make the film, give it to the youth organizations and have them turn it into workshops that they can take into schools, prisons, um, run with community groups. Because I knew the power of the film and I knew that if young people could watch this and really pay attention to it, it could change, it will change their mindset and it will change their trajectory in life. Um, so that was the dream. And for me, that was kind of like my my redemption for all of the negative things that I did previously was just basically to to do that, have that, and I'd be like, yeah, I've, I've paid my price kind of thing. Um, so yeah, we, we, we had the documentary, we had an amazing, everyone loved it. Stand innovation, tears, laughter, everything. It was amazing. Um, and then we had the Q&A afterwards and um, everyone was asking, okay, so what's next? What are you guys looking to do? I was like, well, this is the plan. I want to um, have youth organizations take it into schools, prisons, yada, yada, yada. Everyone's standing up, clapping, saying, yeah, that's amazing. Let's get behind it. We want to get involved. Da, da, da. What can we do? I've got so many business cards. Um, and then shortly after that, my brother, who pretty much gave me uh, near enough the rest of the money for the documentary I lost him to cancer so I kind of took some time away um, and yeah I tried to reach out to the youth organization shortly after that no one was responding to my emails no one called me back and I yeah sat down at my brother's dining table with uh, 
essentially a forty-seven and a half thousand pound hard drive. <laughs> Thinking, what am I gonna do now? And yeah, that's where you know I was just like, I'm just gonna go at it. You know, um, I didn't have the qualifications of setting up a youth organization, especially talking about the mind and psychology and all of that. And um, I just thought, let me look back on my life and how did I make that transition to become the per- become the person that I am now, um, and see how we can turn that into PowerPoint and hopefully it has impact on people. And um, yeah, we probably spent. I, well, I spent the first couple of years just piloting the program and, yeah, we probably piloted. I'd say now I look back at it, we were piloting for about five years until, um, you know, a, a major brand and a major sponsor, financial sponsor came on board and helped us take it to that next level. But that was always the model. Um, I think because of the way I was treated by a lot of the youth organisations, I was kind of scarred, so I didn't want to apply for any funding. I didn't want to go to government. And also, I was a bit sceptical of them because I felt like they would have me change the programme to suit their agenda. And I wanted to keep it real and authentic to my experience and what I know changed me and how I could pass that across to the young people. Um, So, yeah, it took a lot longer than most, but I'm so glad that, you know, um, we did it in that way um, because I heard something yesterday that really just rang a bell with me. It's that we went slow so we can go fast. And I know that's one of the things that you guys say. Slow down to speed up. Slow down to speed up. That's it. (laughs) Well, it's an extraordinary. So the organization is 2020 Change. You're the CEO and founder. Uh, And um, one of the principles, of course, is, is that you believe that streetwise youth, so those involved in what you describe as street enterprise, actually have potential to become tomorrow's leaders. Uh, They're just applying these skills in a negative way. And if you can only divert and repurpose those skills, uh, there's no stopping them. So talk talk to me about that and how you help people make that change in the Mm. course. Yeah, so we originally started off by working with you know, streetwise youth and those involved in what we call street enterprise. Um, but it's evolved so much, and, but I'll touch on that and I'll move on to, to, to where we are now. Um, I just got to think about some of the friends that I had in that world and some of the smartest brains that, 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 that they had. But it's like, now that I'm on this other side, I'm meeting people that are not as smart but they're doing exceptionally well in their careers and their business. And I'm just thinking, if only these guys knew that the skills that they had is actually they're desired in the business world, you know, in, in, in the corporate world, but no one's actually showing them how to polish up themselves and polish up these skills or refine these skills and present them in a way that this side can kind of understand. So I realized there was there was a void there that there, there needed to be a bridge um, between, you know, the streetwise youth and, and, and the corporate world. And I wanted to essentially be that bridge because I was able to make that transition and make it quite successfully as well. So I just had to learn. I already knew the language. I already understood where they were coming from. And I was able to understand this world and where this world was coming from. So it was just a matter of, brushing up on the edges, you know, refining the young people, helping them be honest about who they are, honest about their past and helping these individuals realise that these guys actually have something. So once you strip back 
what the media says about these kind of people, what the media says about young people from this particular background that look this particular way. Once you break down those stereotypes and you break down those barriers, you start to see the real gems that these individuals can actually bring to the table, the value that they bring, um, the, the, the ability to think outside of the box, their creativity, um, their ability to make something out of nothing, um, their ability to take risks as well. You know, because the life that they're coming from is a life full of risk. Whereas oh, this, is, right? yeah. this is it. This is it. So when you start thinking about their journey in life, no one's ever shown them that before. You know, a lot of youth organizations will always tell them, oh, because you don't have the qualifications, you have to go back to school, you have to do this. And they're just thinking, that's long. What, was, what we've done is we've helped them identify all of the things that they've done and we've helped them identify the skill set that they've developed in that and how that same skill set can be applied in this world in a positive way. And also we worked a lot and we still do work a lot on changing mindsets. So a lot of them early on, when you tell when when they find out that someone's working a nine to five, they automatically think that that person's making a thousand two hundred pounds every month. That was always the cap. And it it wasn't until I started to get to know them better is because everybody around them that worked a nine to five was bringing home a thousand two hundred pound. So it was easy for me to show them people that made a thousand two hundred pound in a day from working a legitimate job and they didn't have to look over their shoulders and they didn't have to worry about the police. It completely blew their mind because they never knew that individuals like that existed. Where, where would they find them? You hear about it, but for you to meet someone and for them to tell you that this is what I do, this is how I did it, and it only took me a couple of years to work up the ladder, and I think, wait, actually, I can do that, you know? So all it took was now just breaking down those barriers and giving these young people the opportunities that they need to be able to show themselves in this positive way. And all it took was a few people just agreeing and saying, yes, I want to give you that chance, I want to give you that opportunity. And, and it worked out. But we knew it was going to be a slow burner. We knew that it was going to take three to five years for us to see a complete turnaround in these young people. And now, once we were able to see that these same young people that we started with could come back, share their stories with the young people that are starting now, it's now gone full cycle. Whereas the people that were on the streets before are now working in corporate, in corporate roles, making you know the money that they never thought was it was actually attainable or achievable and they're showing the younger kids that look i did it in the straight and narrow way and i'm comfortable now and you can too so it's not uh, a thing where they're stunting and saying oh look at me i'm better than you it's like i, I made that transition and it wasn't easy it was hard but it was worth it yeah absolutely i mean that that uh, resonates so deeply with me duro you know um uh, I, I work with uh, with a young man who you've been good enough to give a place on on your course. Quasi Court mm. is his name. He's um, he's my artist actually, and <laughs> a record label, Big Community Records. And and uh, he's he's very much everything that you described. You know, a streetwise conscientious gangster who's made a change in his life, uh, and he describes himself as bilingual. You know, he can. Mm talk to the suits in the city, but he can also relate uh, to folks in, in the ends on the streets mm -hmm. as well. And the epiphany that I've had that you've just articulated so brilliantly is help isn't necessarily money 
more often it's information and a bit of a role model mm-hmm. and access uh, and, and access and 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 you're you're, you're uh, providing all three mm. um, just such an inspiring story you know each of your uh, ten pole moments could be an interview in itself, and I'm very grateful <laughs> for, for you to uh, take the time and share it. I'll, I'll leave you with the last word. If if you're watching this, you're a young person, you're considering your future, or perhaps you're, um, you know, a little older and considering a change in direction. What advice would you have? I think <clears throat> look deep inside you and find out the things that you're passionate about you know find out the things that 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 make you tick things that make you happy things that frustrate you you know and and channel your energy in in into that like a lot of people have visions of themselves in the future of who they would like to become and what they would like to achieve but they never actually think about okay what's it going to take for me to become that person what steps do i need to take what do I need to drop? What do I need to pick up? You know, who do I need to drop? When you start having those difficult conversations with yourself, it makes it easier for you to be able to attain that image or that version of yourself that you see in the future. So we do it on our program all the time. We talk about the videotape, and that's one of the first things that we get the young people to do, where we get them to introduce themselves as they would five years from now. And that's one thing that I'd like to leave with everybody here as well. So think about the person that you'd like to be in the next five years and start acting like that person, but not just like in a make-believe type of way. What you're doing is you're visualizing the steps that it's going to take for you to become that person in five years, and you're taking those steps right now. Wow, that's fantastic advice. Uh, I think that's good advice for anyone writing, um, uh, at any stage of their life. I'm going to uh, link all of your information below. So have a look at the exactly. description. Uh, 2020 Change is the program. If you're a, uh, a big corporation wondering where to put your energy and, uh, um, and money, Duro, like most uh, social enterprises, is always looking for funding. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I know firsthand this is a wonderful course that's well worth supporting. Duro Oye, you are an inspiration. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Craig. Appreciate it.